the brother of John Wesley, wrote the song, Hark the Herald Angels. And one of the stanzas says something that sometimes we don't even sing that stanza, but it says, veiled in the flesh, the Godhead we see, hail the incarnate deity, hark the herald angels, glory to the newborn king. This morning, we're going to focus and feast upon Luke chapter 1, verses 32 through 38. And our message is once again entitled, Jesus is his name. And Jesus can be translated as Jehovah saves or Jehovah is salvation. It has been said the name of Jesus is honey in the mouth, melody in the ear, and joy in the heart. There is no really knowing Jesus without knowing him as Savior, for he is that or he is nothing to you. So it's not enough just to sing the song. It's not enough just to know that there was a historical person. It's not enough just to say there was a great teacher. It's not enough just to say that there was a great healer. It's not enough to say that there was a great miracle worker. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't know him at all. Jesus is the way to God the Father. Therefore, we must preach him. Jesus is the truth. Therefore, we must teach him. Jesus is the life. Therefore, our hearts shall rejoice in him. This morning, we shall address three points. Greatness of Jesus questions surrounding the greatness of Jesus, and comfort of knowing the great Jesus. So let's buckle up, because we're about to take a fantastic voyage through his marvelous word, and I pray that when we finish, we will be able to praise him and worship him even to a greater level. The first point that we look at is the greatness of Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Jesus will not only be a special child, not only a saving child, he will also be a sovereign child. He will be great in importance. What does that mean? He will be great for who he is. He will be great for what he accomplished. He is great, and there is no one greater than him. Someone said that he is exceedingly mighty, extraordinary, splendid. When we think of anything great, you need to take it up to another level that we can't even reach, and he's even greater than that because he is great. But then he says he will be called the son of the most high. 
Now you remember Angel Gabriel was saying all this to a teenage girl who had no idea what was going to happen to her that day, but God in his infinite wisdom and his infinite providence sent his angel to speak to Mary. And now he's told her that her child will be great, but then he says something that had to probably top her over, he will be called the son of the most high. Now we gotta remember, Mary is a good little Jewish girl and she understands who the most high is, so she's being told that I will have the son of God. Mm. So now we need to understand what does this most high mean, and that's this El Elyon. El Elyon is referred 48 times in the Bible, 18 or 19 times you will find the word El Elyon in the book of Psalms. So what does El Elyon mean? It means God is the supreme God, the creator of heaven and earth, the owner of all. He is not merely mighty, he is the almighty. Mm. Amen, amen, amen. You're going to get on the train before we leave here. El Elyon is God is the strong God. El Elyon means the God to worship. El Elyon means the God who is sovereign. This young lady is being told all these things about the baby that she would soon give birth to, that he is the God above all gods. That he is the God to worship. But then he's still not done. Because then the angel says the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So now when she hears these words, she's more than likely not just blinking eyes, but she's hearing this and she's heard now that he will be the son of the most high God. Now she heard that he will sit on the throne of David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever which is spoken of in Genesis 49. And then he tells her his kingdom will have no end. You find that in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. This young girl is being bombarded with all this information, and she's now beginning to kind of figure out, this angel is telling me that I'm going to have the Son of God, I'm going to have the Messiah, because the Messiah is going to come in the lineage of David. And you remember last week we saw, when they talked about Joseph, they said Joseph was the lineage of David. So all these things are starting to go together. And now this part at the end, he will have a kingdom will never end. She's starting to think, how can that be? Because there's been other kingdoms, but they always come to an end. Every empire we had in the world has always thought their empire would last. When was the last time you saw the Roman Empire? When was the last time you saw the Greek Empire? They weren't destroyed by climate change. They destroyed because they furthered themselves further and further away from God. They ran around talking about how smart they were, how intellectual they are. They sit around in circles and had all the philosophical arguments of the day. And now they do not exist. Why do they not exist? Because they did not abide with God. Now she's being told that his kingdom will never have an end. He could have blew her mind a little bit more and said his kingdom had no beginning and it has no end. So when we look at verses 31 and 32, it refers to Christ's first advent. Whereas verses 32b and 33 refers to his second advent. That has not yet come, but since he told us it's going to come, it's just a matter of time. Mm. 
So we get excited about his second coming because his second coming will not just be when he comes in the sky and he comes for those who are dead in Christ and those who are alive in Christ. But we also know that part of this second coming will not just be in the sky, but he will step on this earth once again. And that's when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He will show himself to be Lord of Lords, King of Kings. All of this is being told to her and all of that has been told to you in those few verses if you break it down. But if we don't break it down, we just read right through the words and we don't understand what we just read. Hmm. But now we got some verses coming up that shows us the mindset of Mary. The question surrounding the greatness of Jesus. In verses 34 and 35, we find these words. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Hmm. Unlike Zacharias in earlier verses in Luke 1, Mary believed God would do what he promised. It wasn't a question of if. It was a question of how. See, that, now we're moving into the issues of doubt and unbelief, and they are two different things. Mary didn't question if God was going to do it. She just didn't understand how. And if we are honest, we have all been like Mary on many occasions. Some of us want to think, so since I became a child of God, I ain't never had no doubt. I always know. You a liar. Because God says, I want there to be doubt. I want you to ask me sometimes how. And then when you ask how, that's when faith kicks in and says, even if I still don't understand it, that ain't going to stop me from doing it. Because if you only do what you know you can do, you don't have any faith. You still dependent on you. God says, I'm going to let you go through some valleys. I'm going to let you see some mountaintops. I'm going to let you see some storms. So you're going to have to demonstrate faith to me. So Gabriel, the angel, provides Mary assurance and comfort. You don't see the angel scolding Mary and say, how in the world did you say, how can this be? But what does the angel do? And the angel only does what God sends him to do. So even if we might have watched Touched by the Angel, you might have watched some other show on TV, and the angel's making decisions. Angels don't make decisions. They carry out missions. So we're always talking about we got spiritual stuff on TV. Be careful what you watch. Be careful. Because they don't have no authority to come up with their own plan. They have no authority. I remember one, I, I don't know, I was still naive and watching something. And they got on punishment because they did something they weren't supposed to do. We need to understand. There was a battle between all the angels. And it was one day that they had to make a decision. Are you following God or are you not? If you didn't follow God, you are the one-third of the fallen angels. The other two-thirds ain't making decisions now if they're going to be sinful. So click that station and get in your word because that station is taking you somewhere you don't need to go. Amen, amen, amen. So the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. So let's break it down. The power of the Holy Spirit will overcome Mary, and this divine activity will result in an immaculate conception, a supernatural conception. 
So he knows she's asking how it's going to be done. So the angel now, who's been sent by God and knew more than likely she's going to have questions, he now gives her answers to give her assurance and comfort. Now, somebody can still say, I still don't understand what it means overshadow. He didn't tell you he's going to tell you everything. He says, I've given you enough so you can have confidence and assurance that this is how it's going to be done. Now, when I was working on this message and praying on this message, I said, look at how much we've changed the focus. Because when you look at the scripture, it does not say the immaculate birth. It says the immaculate conception. When Mary gave birth, she gave birth like any other woman. What was different was the conception. Don't miss that. So God is teaching in these verses, life begins at what? We got believers running around with their great minds saying, well, I don't think it begins at conception. So it's not anything but a fetus. It's just a bunch of cloth. So then now even those who teach that wrong doctrine, they're even coming to the point. Wait a minute. This little baby at this amount of months can do this. They can do that. They can do that. They can feel pain. They can do that. This isn't just a little glob. God's saying, I told you that 2,000 years ago. God is able to conquer our doubts. You remember in the stories of other times where not the birth, but the, the conception was the focus. When Sarah was told that she was going to conceive a child, not give birth to a child, but conceive a child, even though she was old and it was believed that she was barren, she didn't have doubt. She didn't have questions of how it could be. She laughed. Her response is, how can this be with somebody at my age? This is not possible. What did Elizabeth do when she heard, not Elizabeth, Hannah? When Hannah heard, what did she do? Hannah, when she heard that she was pregnant, she began to bargain with God before she was pregnant because she had gone all these years without having children. And she's saying, God, if you can make me have a child, I'll name that son and I'll give that son to you. God is able to conquer our doubts. The Latin word for doubt, the beteri, it comes from an Aryan meaning of two. We see this in James chapter 1, verse 6, when it talks about us being of two minds when we are in doubt. The state of the mind that hesitates between two contradictory conclusions. The Greek word for doubt talks about to go two ways. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is. So don't think that you are not now qualified to be used by God because you have doubt. Because God understands you're going to have doubt, but you still believe that you can do it. We just don't know how. God is going to use me in this situation. I have doubt how he's going to do it, but I know he can do it. Unbelief says he can't do it. 
unbelief refers to a willful refusal to believe, while doubt describes inner uncertainty. That's why I said all of us have doubt. We might not admit to it, but we have it. The key is what do we do with those doubts makes all the difference in the world. There was a Bible scholar called Frederick Del, Del Bruner, and he says the Christian faith is bipolar. So when you know I saw that, I said, oh, what? I got to see how this person going to break this down, because I didn't know I was bipolar. So I said, oh, man, now I'm bipolar. <laughs> Disciples live their life between worship and doubt, trusting and questioning, hoping and worrying. Does that describe you? That there are times when there's hope, but there's times when there's worry. There's times when there's trusting. There's times when there's questioning. There's times when we're worshiping. There's times when we are doubting. And sometimes we can go through all those different phases in a two-hour worship service. So now you need to understand, that does not make you abnormal. That does not mean that now you're not a Christian. It means that you're being honest with yourself. And more importantly, you're being honest with God. And God knows when you're doubting something, he'll send an angel like he did Gabriel, and he will give you words of comfort and assurance. You heard right what I told you to do, Delbert. Now this is how it's going to go. But sometimes he don't even tell you how it's going to go. You know what he might say? Trust me. Then our flesh say, well, you give me a little bit more meat than trust. <laughs> I, I need to see a little bit more of the planning stage. And God said, no, this time I'm just going to say, do you trust me? And many of us, if we're sitting here now, we walked any amount of time with God. We done done some things that we did not know, not know why we were doing it, but we knew the reason why we were doing it, because we trust God. And that's when our faith kicks in. If your faith only kicks in after you done figured it out, you at baby level. And if you sit up there trying to figure everything out, God tells me to do X, I'm like, okay, now why would he be telling me to do X? Why would he be telling me to do Y? Do I have what I need to do X? Do I have to? God is saying, really? You are still your own little God. Hmm. If we are honest with ourselves, all of us have experienced doubt before we became believers and even after we become believers. We may deny it, we may not recognize it, but that doesn't change the fact. We have doubt. John the Baptist was out there in the wilderness with loincloth, not worried about personal hygiene, just out there preaching the word, telling about Jesus is on his way. He's out there, people's ready to get him and everything else. Then the little lady starts dancing and stuff, and then she talks to the man, and he says, I'll give you whatever I want. See, and it's all the way back there. The little lady uses her charm, the man loses his head and says, whatever you want. <laughs> and she says, I want the head of John the Baptist. Then John is sending his disciples, and when he sends his disciples to Jesus, he asks the question, are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? Was that unbelief, or was that doubt? I believe it was doubt. 
He's saying, I don't see how this one is going to be the Messiah. I don't see how it's going to be. How is this going to be true? Did I do all of this in vain? And God is letting them know. Tell them that the blind are getting sight. The lame is walking. Then he says, no man born of a woman is greater than John the Baptist. We know what we've been saying. In the church, we didn't call him everything but a... We didn't say, you ain't really a believer. You call yourself a believer. Quotes. And we're not looking at how God deals with people's doubt. The reason why some of us won't talk about our doubt is because we're afraid other people is going to jump on us for those doubts. So we act like and pretend like we don't have none. If I ask how many believers came here today with some doubt in some area of their life, probably no hands would have gone up. Or they'd have looked around and see if anybody else's hands went up. And if somebody else's hand went up, they would, oh, I ain't going to be by myself, so I'll put my hand up too. <laughs> so Mary was troubled. And she was pondering all that was being said. So I came across some things that might help us as we deal with doubt. And there are basically seven things that comes up. And the first thing is, how do we deal with doubt? Admit your doubts and ask for help from God with your doubts. If you got a doubt, you got a doubt. So you might as well talk to God about the doubt instead of sitting up there pretending like you don't have any. So you admit it to God. I don't understand. I know you are God. I know that you are sovereign. I know that you are providence. I know that you're all powerful. I know that you can do all things. But I still have some doubt. And God is so wonderful, he will talk you many times through that doubt. Two, recognize that faith is a choice, not a feeling. So don't be talking about, I don't, I don't feel like I got faith. Well, who cares if you feel like you got faith? Either you got faith or you don't. And now you're going to act on your faith or your feelings. And that's why I always keep trying to tell you, until the day that I die, until I have no more breath in my body, I don't care about your feelings. And God don't care about them. God says, I don't operate in the realm of feelings. I operate in the realm of faith. So if you want to do some faith talking with God, says, God says, I'm here. Let's talk. When you want to talk about feelings, you go find Oprah or somebody else and Dr. Phil and talk to them. God says, I want to talk faith with you because that's my language. Love is my language. And we all know love is not a feeling either. It's an action according to God. So you say, well, how past Denny saying that? I'm saying it because it's scriptural. Three, don't be afraid to borrow some faith. So when I saw this one, I said, man, what is this one? Borrow some faith. When our faith is not kicking in, sometimes we need to go to other Christians, not unbelievers, not children of darkness, but children of light, and go to them and talk with them and say, hey, I see you got faith in this situation can I borrow some of yours? Because when we hear testimonies, is that not what we're doing? Does not Hebrew say, spur one another, provoke one another towards good works? So when I hear people walking in faith, when I hear people talking in faith, God says, listen to what's there. If you're a little low on your faith level right now, see what I did with this person with their faith, and I'll do the same for you. Yes. Yes. 
So if your faith is a little bit on the low level right now, borrow some. Take some of Rashad's. Take some of Egypt. I mean, uh, Joseph all the way in the Caribbean. Four, act on your faith, not on your doubts. Act on your faith, not on your doubt. Just like I said today, when we come in here every Sunday, all of us got issues in our life. Don't ever think you are more special than anybody else. Everybody got issues. Now, I knew we could amen. I can say something out of scripture. Get that one. Amen. Amen. We, we all got issues. We all got trouble. But now do I focus and dwell on the issue and the trouble, or do I focus on the one who can solve it? And that choice is yours. You decide, you choose what you're going to focus on. Don't blame it on the boogeyman. Don't blame it on somebody else. You choose. I'm going to choose faith. Because God is letting us know in Philippians what we think on, what we dwell on, is going to affect our behavior and our actions. So that's why he says, I'm going to even tell you what to think on. Think on those things are good. Things are lovely. Those things are above report. Because if you sit there and keep talking about all the problems you got, all the bad things people have done to you, you know what you end up? An angry, twisted-faced person. You can go to a lot of God's churches and their lips are all twisted up. So I'm trying to figure out you worshiping God and you worshiping God with an angry heart. You worshiping God with an unforgiving heart. You worshiping God with your lips all turned up. Five, doubt your doubt, not your faith. Believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts. You have to know what you know that you know. If you don't know what you know what you don't know, you're going to be tossed to and fro. So when I say God's word is true, God's word in its original form is without error. When I say God's principle is this, there's no way God's going to have me do something that goes against his principle. You could tell me till the sun turns orange. God told me this. And I said, okay, he told you. Okay, let's look at this scripture. So God told you to do this, but this scripture says you don't have that authority to do this. So he broke his word for you. Well, I feel it. We ain't talking feelings. See, now you know why my door is empty a lot of times for counseling, because they want somebody going to tell them about how they feel. Well, you go down the street somewhere else for that. I'm going to tell you this is what the word said. How you feel about it ain't got nothing to do with it. Amen, amen. <laughs> Six, understand that there are some things mm, you will never understand until you get to heaven and you still might not understand. Now, for some people who like them some me, this becomes very difficult. For some people who don't really like some me, this ain't a problem because they say, I ain't losing no sleep over it. I don't, I don't get it. You can use it, like I said, you see it with little kids right away. You can, you can see already what seeds God already put in there. They ain't your DNA. That's God's DNA. You have two kids that might be the same age, and one may be a little bit older, 
and they grew up in the same house, got the same parents, same thing, you'll see one that will continue to try, try, try. You'll see another one that gives up real fast. Watch. Think back when you had those little darlings that you thought was the blessed things of the world. God was already giving you signs then. This one's going to give up fast. Whenever they run into anything that's going to be difficult, the first thing you're going to be is like, I can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. Then you're going to have the other one. He's going to keep hitting his head in the wall. He said, hey, boy, don't put your head in the wall no more. Boom, boom, boom. Say, <laughs> so we got to make sure we got insurance on this one because he's going he to be hitting his head a lot. Seven, keep going back to what you know to be true. The knowledge that I have, the knowledge that I know, stay with that. That which you don't know, you can't depend on it because you don't know it. So that's one of the reasons why you constantly are reading the word, studying the word, so I know more and more word that I can depend on. But if all you know is A, B, and C, then live your life on A, B, and C. And then ask God, I want to grow so I know D, E, and F. Not so I can run around and say, look it, I know F and you only know A. No, now I can know how to live my life and how to share this with someone else. Because it's not about you having a label behind your name. Hmm. So Mary is dealing with this doubt, and we're dealing with doubt. And someone said when she's told about who this baby's going to be, the unseen is about to become seen. God is going to emerge from heavenly hiddenness into earthly visibility. The incomprehensible will become the approachable, the touchable, the understandable, and it's Jesus Christ. Because you have to understand, up until the time that Jesus took on the form of man, God is the spirit. No one had seen God. No one had physically touched him. But now Jesus said, I'm coming down, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, God dwelling with you. You will be able to touch me. You will be able to see me. I am now approachable. You remember in the Old Testament, only one person could go in the Holy of Holies. Everybody else was kept at a distance. But you remember when Jesus died and the veil was broken, it says now all of us have access to the Father. He's approachable. He's touchable. Hmm. This one person said it was so deep, I said, I don't even know if I'm going to say it because it took me about 10 times to catch it myself. It says, he stretched skin over the spirit like a rubber glove, aligning trinity with bone, twining through veins until deity squared a knot of flesh and gave us him, Jesus Christ. See, when we, we think about the spirit, that's that part of it that goes way beyond our ability. When we sit there and try to fathom who the spirit is, who God is, who Jesus Christ is, how does the Trinity work? There are some things that God says, you just trust me. I said it worked. It works. I'm stupid enough to say, thank you, God, because there's a lot of other things I could be thinking about. So why am I going to be thinking about something so I can explain it to somebody else when all I got to tell them is read the Bible and you'll see where the principle is? Now it's up to you to either believe it or not believe it, accept it or not accept it. But I don't have to be that smart to say I'm going to be able to figure it out because if I can figure everything out about God, what does that mean? I'm on his level. 
And I ain't seen nobody, that includes me, and it includes you, that you are on his level. So when it says he is great, you know what it would make us be? Not great. So when we run around wanting to hear great this, great that, God said, why are they using that term? That term don't belong to anybody but me. Hmm. Let's look at the third and final point. Comfort of knowing the great Jesus. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month for nothing will be impossible with God. Gabriel explains God's power and he lets Mary know, I'm not going to leave you alone. God normally has a ram in the bush. See, sometimes we, we go to work or we go to school and we sit there and say, I'm all alone. Ain't nobody else out there like me. And God says, I normally don't leave my children by themselves. When Jesus left this earth after he was crucified and he ascended back up to heaven, what did he say? I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter, so you will have someone with you at all times. I'm not leaving you as orphans. He's now telling Mary, I know what I'm about to use you for. I know how difficult it is. I know how challenging it is. I know the marks and remarks you're going to hear from people, the stares you're going to receive from people. She don't even know at this time if Joseph is not going to divorce her. So all those things are running through her mind. Because legally, according to the law, he could have divorced her. He could have stoned her. And now the angel is once again coming to give her comfort, to let her know you're not by yourself. You know your cousin Elizabeth, who's been married for we don't know how long, but we know that she was barren. He's saying God has already opened her womb. Can you imagine that? That when we're going through difficult things, God does not expect us to be lone rangers. When we're going through something, do we first start asking God, have you sinned? Is there someone already here for me to talk to? Or is our first reaction, I'm going to handle this by myself? Or then you'll hear believers saying, well, I go to church, but there ain't nobody at the church I can talk to. Really? If that church has got four people in there, there ought to be somebody you can talk to. People be saying that where there might be 50, 100, 200, 300 brothers and sisters, and I can't talk to one of them. Or maybe God is saying, I'm going to send you to somebody you didn't think you could talk to. But now he's sending her to somebody who's going through a similar situation. And then he reminds her for nothing will be impossible with God. Hmm. Is anything too difficult for God? Well, if we say he is almighty, if we say that he is powerful, 
if we say that he has everything under his control, if we said that he is El Elyon, if we said that he's Jehovah Jireh, if we said all these different names for Jehovah who is God, if he's all those things and we truly believe it, is there anything too hard for him? So why is it that we keep thinking there's something too hard for him? Because you don't believe it. Well, Pastor, how are you going to say I don't believe it? Because if you believed it, you wouldn't be worrying. And as soon as the doubt started kicking in, you ain't now having a pity party. You're going to the source, and now you're saying, God, I know you are able. I don't know how you're going to solve this situation, but I know you're going to solve it. I go to the doctor, and he gives me a report. You got two weeks to live. Do I now crumble? No. I say, if that's God's will, it's his will. Because he's already told me, he's already given me words of assurance. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We quote that at other people's funerals. But when it comes to our funeral, those words ain't being quoted. Well, if I believe those words are what they say, Someone put it this way. No promise of God can fail to be fulfilled, for no word from God shall be void of power. God can and will do anything he determines. So if God determines this is to be, it's going to be with me or without me. If God says his word is going to be declared, it's going to be declared with me or without me. He's saying you can either join me and be a part of this glorious thing, or you can sit on the sideline, but whoever is mine is mine with you or without you. Don't ever sit there and think, well, this person came to Christ because I prayed for him. Who in the world are you? Who in the world are you? This person didn't come to know the Lord because I didn't share the gospel with him. Who in the world are you? He chooses who's going to be in his family. He says, I can use a donkey if I choose to. We run around talking about how many people we done saved. Really? Really? Hmm. Question. Are you facing something today that seems impossible in your life? Are you joyless today? Are you hopeless today? Are you powerless today? Are you defeated today? Are you being defeated by your enemies today? And some of you know you might have said yes and checked all the boxes. <laughs> but if I'm a child of God, and if I'm abiding in Christ, I am not powerless. See, some of us can't even say amen. If I'm abiding in Christ, if I'm doing what he's telling me to do, if I'm following his word, I am tapped into the dunamis power of the almighty God, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at my disposal. Why? Not because of me, but because of him. And I'm abiding in him. I'm tapped into him. And God says, now you are tapped into my power. 
You are tapped into my glory. Be assured, God is able to do the impossible in your life as you place your trust in him and his word. Well, these final words are the last words that Mary says today, and she says in verse 38, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. So she's already letting you know what her position is with God. She already sees herself as a servant of God. I am a bond slave sold out to you. She's not just saying some words. She's not just reminding or saying over and over the same things and don't believe it. How do we know she believes what she says? Look at what she says next. May it be done to me according to your word. A teenager. May it be done to me according to your word. Still may not know all the technicalities of how this is going to be done. But if your word says I'm going to be overshadowed with the Holy Spirit. If your word tells me I'm going to have the son of the most high God. If your word tells me all of these things, let it be done, your servant. Because it's all about what you said. And I trust you and I believe in what and who you are. How many of us right now are able to honestly say, may it be done according to your word? You got believers now fussing about, is it God's will for this or that to happen? You got believers sitting there going, well, it couldn't have been God's will because look at how it turned out. Really? So maybe somebody back then, some of our descendants and ancestors said, that couldn't have been God's will for Mary to carry this child because look at all the horrible things that happened to her. We'll hear that when some missionary goes off to some country and they get killed on the mission field. That must not have been God's will for them to go. That was a tragedy. They should have stayed here safe in the United States. And God is saying, no, this person went where I told them to go. So God could be telling you to go somewhere right now. He could be telling you to do something right now. He could be telling you he wants to use you some kind of right now. And you know what we kind of tell them? Not now. That don't fit my plans. I don't think that's right for me. But then the next thing we're standing up talking about your sovereign and your providence. Next thing we're talking about how great you are. And God is saying, look at Mary. When she says those words, behold. The bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And then the last thing that we see is the angel departed from her. We don't see that the angel bowed down and worshiped Mary. We don't see her <laughs> have them singing songs to Mary. So when God uses you, guess what? He ain't got angels bowing down singing you. Okay. The only time people might be singing around us, worshiping us when the fallen angels are rejoicing because we've been used by them. This angel has done what God has told him to do and is off to the next assignment. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that's the way we lived our life? When God gives us assignment, we fulfill the assignment and then we say, God, I'm ready for the next one. But we got some people when they get one assignment, they're like, okay, God, you didn't use me enough, now I'm tired. Okay, And God can say, you're so tired, you're going to be off the earth tomorrow. We'll see how tired you are. 
You resting up for what? I'm resting up for two weeks. You ain't going to be here two weeks from now. You do what I tell you to do. I'm not asking you to do this. This is an assignment. And the only choice you got is, am I going to be obedient or disobedient? Well, I'm going to be a bond slave and a servant of yours and be faithful to you, even if I don't understand everything that you're doing, or am I going to be still the one in charge who decides what I'm going to do with your time, with your talent, with your gift, because none of it's mine. Because when we said earlier, he is the creator of all things, the owner of all things. God has to teach me over and over. Got a car, got a house. Now, how can that car or house be used by you, God? Many of us have had those times. We have cried and cried for a job. Give me a job. Give me a job. Give me a job. He gives you a job. Give it a week, two weeks. Give me another job. Give me another job. Give me another job. And God is listening to your stupidity. And you say, I ain't giving you another job till you fulfill what I want you to fulfill here. Because if you go somewhere else, I'm letting you know, you're not in my will. You're no longer abiding under me. You are abiding under you. So a whole bunch of us, I asked for some stuff, got it, and then want to go back to, the, what is it, the 26th? The return. All the gifts you done got, now you're going back to the return booth to return them for something else. How many times has God gifted us and we had the audacity to go to the return? Because it wasn't what we wanted. And God is saying, mm, how ungrateful you are. So if he got any gift for you, you know your hands ought to be out. And if you give so many gifts, you, you're wobbling and stuff, you ain't complaining. You're thanking them. Because he didn't give you the gifts just for you. He gave you the gift to help other people and to bless other people. Jesus is his name. That's the name I'm going to proclaim. That's the name where I get my strength from. That's the name I get my hope from. I don't get it from any other person. Can love them to death. Their name is not Jesus. And when I have problems, when I have trouble, that's the name I'm calling on. And even when things go well, that's the name I'm calling on. I'm saying, thank you, Jesus, you made a way. Thank you, Jesus, you showed your love and power once again. Thank you, Jesus, you gave me an opportunity once again to be your servant. And that's the greatest title I can ever have, is child of God, servant of God, slave of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for how you challenge us in your word, remind us in your word, comfort us with your word, love us with your word. Let us not just say that you are the sovereign God, let us not just say that we understand your providence, but let us live out your providence and your sovereignty in our lives each and every day. Let us be thankful that it is only by one name that we can be saved, and that name is Jesus Christ.
There is only one way to you, Heavenly Father, and that is the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you chose us and gave us the ability to say the name Jesus. And there may be someone here today that has never proclaimed that name, and today is the day of their salvation. It's not about, do I have all my I's dotted and all my T's crossed? It's not about, I got everything in my life under control. Because if I truly had everything under my life, I would not need you. I wouldn't need a savior. I wouldn't need someone to rescue me. But when we came to accept your son, Jesus Christ, and the finished work on the cross, we were acknowledging we needed someone to save us from ourselves, to rescue us from our sinfulness. And as soon as we called out your son's name, Jesus Christ, in faith, you began to love us as one of your own. So we thank you, Lord. And that is still the message given to every boy, girl, man, or woman. Who do you say Jesus Christ is to you? He must be more than a man, a teacher, a healer, a miracle worker. He must be your savior. We thank you, we praise you, and we say these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So as we listen to the music softly, this is that time to...